Good morning, everybody. Welcome into To The Point Podcast. Happy Remembrance Day and happy Friday to everybody. It is a long weekend here, and I'm here live earlier than I usually am on a Friday. Lots to dive into. Big weekend of sports moving forward here, and today's show should be fun. A lot, lot to chat about. we got all the betting lines from the NFL weekend, some college betting lines that I like. i got MVP odds which are interesting in the NFL. I want to talk about that. We're 10 weeks into the season. We're going to talk about some UFC today, UFC 281 this weekend from Madison Square Garden, the biggest arena in sports. A massive pay-per-view, some really interesting fights. Also, we'll talk some gambling on that side of things. So we'll get into that. NHL last night, some interesting stuff. Some really incredible performances from a number of guys. A couple of great team performances. And we'll also look ahead to the NHL weekend when it comes to certain games. To keep your eye on this weekend and just storylines to follow before we're back live with one another on Monday. But before we get into sports, it is Remembrance Day. And I think it's appropriate just to... I use Remembrance Day as a day of reflection. You know, of course, everybody benefits from Remembrance Day because it's a holiday, right? You don't have to go to work. You get the day off. And it can be like any other. It's a day off. But something I do every year, and I should do more for, for our veterans and just people that go to war every year, But every Remembrance Day at 11 o'clock, I stop what I'm doing and I stand there with my arms crossed for for two minutes. It's something I've done for a very long time. I remember going to public school and you, at 11 o'clock, you stop what you're doing and you paid your respects. There's definitely more you can do. I know there's ceremonies, there's different things you can go to. Something that's really cool is seeing old war memorials. That's something that, you know, the the history of war is something that I grew an interest from, from just spending time with my father. He's a real a war buff. I remember watching Save It Private Ryan, watching Black Hawk Down, and really getting interested in war. And then there's also so many different documentaries. Uh, if you haven't seen World War One or World War Two in color, I highly recommend you seeing it. They're extremely descriptive, interesting shows about what these world wars were like. You know, the casualties, the, the prison camps. So today is a day to celebrate veterans. It is, it's Remembrance Day. It's Veterans Day in the United States. But we also, we have to appreciate them every day because I know myself, if I was born in a different era and I was told you're going to war because it wasn't a choice, people enlist now and it's a much different endeavor. Some people don't end up going into combat. They serve years and years in the military and they get their, get your pension and, and things of that nature. But in the past, you were told you're going to war and it wasn't a choice. It was get your bags packed, kiss your mother on the cheek and 
you may never see them again. And for so many people, that's what happened. You left and you didn't come home. You came home in a body bag. You came home on a plane in a coffin for your parents to bury you in whatever state that you were left in. If I was born in the in the early 1900s, in the mid-1900s, during the first world wars, even think of Vietnam and what Muhammad Ali, or then Cassius Clay, did was say, no, I'm not going to war. That was a, a trailblazing move. It, it changed everything when it came to just the conversation around war and you know, then came war and peace and war, what, what is it good for and, and things of that nature. But for me personally, if I was told you're going to war, Noah, you're going to war. If I was told that this morning, I wouldn't have made it. I don't have that backbone. I'm not that strong-willed. These men are fearless. They battled through things. I don't have that. I'm not that type of person. I wouldn't have lasted five seconds. I would have got shot by a German or by a rival country, quite frankly. And with me saying that and openly admitting it and not being afraid to do that, I think it adds a sense of appreciation from me anyway to the people that went because they, the, even the soldiers that died, that fought valiantly, they did something I know I don't have the capability to do. I shot a gun once in my life. It was at a tree. I don't hunt. I don't like, I don't like hunting animals. It's really uncomfortable for me. I'm, I'm a, I'm definitely a lover and not a fighter, although I don't, I'm not that great at loving either. So I could just be the, the enigma of it all here. But Remembrance Day is important for me. It's, it's a holiday that has meaning. It's, it has history. Remembrance Day is past, present, and future. Because we have to remember the people that gave their lives in some of the most meaningful, profound situations in world history. I thought of people this morning, and I was just on a drive back from the gym thinking about different people that had such a profound impact on the sports world. It just came into my mind. But then I started thinking about Remembrance Day and, and you know different people that really come to mind. And normally we remember the villains. We think of Adolf Hitler. We think of Mussolini in Italy and these different bad dictators that ran communist regimes, ran, ran these parties where they tried to kill everybody in their sights. And those characters, and they're not, they're, they were people, but the, the characters of, of our past, thankfully, are not writing our future. Because Canadian soldiers and our, the good side of the force, if you will, won in the end. Our world would not be what it is today. And believe me, our world is not in great shape politically, socially, however you look at it. 
The world's shit. But it could be a hell of a lot worse if Adolf Hitler got what he, what he wanted in that Second World War. Who knows what kind of world we're in right now. So there are so many soldiers that have passed, that have been in, that have been in the military, that have given their life, that have so many times going overseas to fight. And it's impossible to thank everyone because some you don't get the chance to, and there's so many soldiers that you don't always see it. But what I recommend is just really take some time to, to do some reading today, to watch some of these shows. Listen to A Pittance of Time by Terry Kelly. It's a great song. I encourage everybody, if you haven't, if you haven't heard the song, there's a great music video on YouTube. I, I encourage everybody to listen to that as well. It's listen to it every year in school. It's a really profound song. It has a great impact and it's basically the the nucleus of the, the message of the song is just take a second and thank somebody. Life will go on. We can go grocery shopping tomorrow. We can go buy liquor tomorrow. We can tomorrow's Saturday. Do whatever you want. At 11 a.m., before 11 a.m. this morning, just accept, just appreciate what you have in life. We always want more, including me. I'm bad with this. I'm not, I'm not happy. I can get complacent. I'd love to be more successful. You know, there's all these different emotions that you get in life. But for today, just appreciate what you have because soldiers past, present and future are a real reason why we have it. We have a better life here in Canada than most countries around the world. And we have our soldiers more than politicians, more than elected officials to thank for that. They, our soldiers fight for our freedom. We get that. They are the true heroes. They always will be. And it's November 11th. Let's appreciate what they've done for us. So to every military person that has given their life, that continues to fight, that serves in our military, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'll never be able to thank you enough, but I appreciate your service and enjoy your day. Because we don't, as a people, as a populace, thank you enough for what you do. Not an easy transition, but let's get back to sports. I told you at the end of the show yesterday that I had a feeling about the game last night, which was Thursday night football, Falcons-Panthers. And this is not an exciting game, what Thursday night football game is. Al Michaels is ready to bang his head against the wall because he's sick and tired of calling these crap games. But I thought the game could be fun. And I said it could be fun because you can gamble on it. And I said at the end of the show yesterday, I like the Panthers plus three. 
I love a home dog. It's a divisional game. And I just had a feeling about these Carolina Panthers not going away. Steve Wilkes is coaching this team up. And they played a game that was decided by three points just two weeks ago. Well, ladies and gents, if you listened to me yesterday and you took the Panthers plus three, you would have made some money last night. If you also took Deontay Freeman over rushing yards, which I also recommended, he did get over 100 rushing yards. He got 124 rushing yards last night, scored a touchdown on the ground, and we picked a winner last night, ladies and gents. Panthers, home dog. I love a home dog. I got to say, I'm not going to talk about this game really in depth. I watched the whole thing, unfortunately, but I did. Tough loss for the Falcons. Falcons were tied for first in the NFC South. Now the Falcons this week have to hope for the Bucs to lose in Seattle, which we'll get to in just a second. Actually, the game's in Germany, but they're playing the Seattle Seahawks, who are currently 6-3. and Because the Bucs lose this week, Falcons and the Buccaneers will both be 4-6, and six, and that means the Panthers would only be a game out from first in the NFC South, which is just a crazy turn of events. The Panthers are not a good team. They can run the football. They got Freeman. They got Chuba Hubbard, the Canadian out of Oklahoma State. They threw a shuttle pass behind the line of scrimmage to Lavenska Chenault Jr. last night, the former Jacksonville Jaguar, who took it to the house. P.J. Walker did not throw the ball 15 times, so they limited his production in the passing game. With to their credit, their strategy worked last night. They, they ran for almost 250 yards. I do think P.J. Walker is a better quarterback than what he demonstrated last night. They didn't really give him an opportunity to succeed or fail. But the Panthers got a tricky schedule. I don't think they're going to win this division. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. But since firing Matt Rule, the Panthers are 2-2. Two and two. Steve Wilkes is 2-2, two and two, and he's 2-1 and one in divisional games. He's beaten Tom Brady, and he's beaten the Atlanta Falcons. They got blown out by the Cincinnati Bengals, but that happens to a lot of teams. Happened to the Falcons just three weeks ago. Arthur Smith looked so frustrated last night in that loss. Marcus Mariota did not play well, and this game was won in the trenches. Line of scrimmage, the offensive line for the Panthers willed over the Falcons' defensive line. Not to mention the offensive line for the Atlanta Falcons could not create anything in the running game. Derrick Brown had a hell of a night for the Panthers in the running game. Three tackles for a loss. He was all over the football. And Brian Burns also had a, a sack and a half on Marcus Mariota. I don't think the Falcons will make big changes. Desmond Ritter is sitting on the bench, the rookie out of the University of Cincinnati. I think the Falcons will ride with Mariota for now. They've lost two in a row, which is tough for them, losing to the Bengals. And this Panthers loss stings. It does. They have some time to ponder it. What was so interesting watching the game last night is you see the Panthers playing with P.J. Walker and they're running the football a ton. They win. And Baker Mayfield's on the sideline as the backup quarterback dress. Sam Darnold is also on the sideline. He's not dressed because you, you can only dress two quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield was the first overall pick in the draft. 
Sam Darnold was the third overall pick in the same draft. P.J. Walker was undrafted, was cut three times from teams from training camps, then went to the XFL, won XFL MVP, and he got an opportunity in the NFL. Three very different paths. Quarterback at Oklahoma, quarterback at USC, and a guy playing in the XFL. And the guy who played in the XFL got the starting job last night. You win a game, I don't see it not putting P.J. Walker back in at quarterback. Baker Mayfield is jumping with no helmet on into guys' helmets last night after the game, which was so puzzling. Is he trying to get a concussion? He looks befuddled to me. Doesn't look happy to be a backup on the sideline. I get that. Sam Darnold seemed more chipper to not be playing, probably because he knows he can't play. And he's, he, see, he sees ghosts every time he hits the field. But the Panthers are moving forward. They didn't trade some of their big pieces on the back end of the trade deadline. They did not trade DJ Moore to the Packers, Chargers, or another team. They'll be, they'll be looking for a new head coach in the offseason, David Tepper. Wants this team to be successful. They got some work to do, but I will say this. The Carolina Panthers are closer to being competitive than, than a lot of teams looking ahead because of their division. Tom Brady's in the last year of his contract. Even if he does play next year at 46 years old, which I wouldn't rule out whatsoever, I'm not so sure it's going to be for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So if he's gone, they're looking for a new quarterback, and it's a new era in Tampa Bay. There's change. The New Orleans Saints don't have a quarterback. Jameis Winston's not playing. He's got a back injury, but I think he's also been a healthy scratch the last number of weeks. And they got Andy Dalton currently playing. Andy Dalton is not the future quarterback. Taysom Hill is not the future quarterback, so they don't have one. Not to mention that the def defensive core for the Saints is getting older. And we just said the Falcons. Falcons have Desmond Ritter. I don't know if he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. He was good in college. Led Cincinnati to an unbeaten season last year. Made the college football playoff from the, from the ACC. Sorry, for the AAC, American Athletic Conference. But do I know if he can play? No. I think if they have opportunity to get a good quarterback, they'll get one and surpass Desmond Ritter and Marcus Mariota, quite frankly. So the Panthers, who are in disarray, who do have to pay Matt Rule four more years to not coach, I think there's things to build on in Carolina because they are 3-7 and seven and very much in the race for that divisional title, which is a sight to behold. It's week 10 in the National Football League. Started last night, as we just discussed, but there are a number of games this weekend that interest me, and there are a number of games that are just, quite frankly, almost unwatchable. But this season, I mentioned the other day, it's on crack. It doesn't make any sense. Teams that we thought would be good are not. There are games that, there are teams that just you don't want to see anymore. So let's get into it. It starts Sunday morning with Seattle and Tampa Bay playing in Munich, Germany. Here are some little factoids for you on this game. Tom Brady has played three international games in his career. He is 3-0 in these type games. The Seattle Seahawks, on the other hand, have played two international games, and they have won both games. Both games were under Pete Carroll's 
tutelage. Seattle is 6-3, and and they've won five in a row. Their defense, since week four, ranks sixth in the NFL. Now, if you go up and look at the top defenses in the NFL, Seattle is currently ranked 26th. But as I mentioned, in their winning streak, they are ranked sixth in the NFL. So 20, 20 points higher than what it would say on NFL.com. So go figure there. And let's just be honest here. Tampa's got the GOAT quarterback. There's no debating that. But who's a better quarterback right now? It's Geno Smith. Geno Smith is a pro bowler. Tom Brady is hanging on by a thread. and He just barely squeaked out a win against the hapless Los Angeles Rams, who stink, as I pointed out last Friday on this fine program. The Seattle Seahawks have a plethora of weapons. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Noah Fant, who had his biggest game as a Seahawk, where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are second in the National Football League in drops. They had six as a team last week against the Rams. Tampa is favored in this game by two and a half. Shaq Barrett's out for the season. Julio Jones is always a question mark to play. Chris Godwin has not looked the same since coming back. No Cameron Brait. He's still out with a neck injury for the Buccaneers. For Seattle, no major injuries. They look pretty healthy for the most part. Their defense is still full go. Kenneth Walker is a go. Geno Smith, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, all the works. Before the season, it would not be a two and a half point spread. I'll tell you that if you had to look, if you had to project it. Tampa, I think, would be favored by more than 10 points in the preseason rankings because nobody expected Seattle to be 6-3 and three at this point. Both these teams will have their bye week following this game. Coming back from Germany, they'll get to their bye. Tampa squeaked out a win last week. They are 4-6. and six. So they're 4-5, and five, a game ahead of the Atlanta Falcons for top spot in the NFC South. I do think that gave the momentum last week, Tampa Bay, and it is Tom Brady. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to win that division. But I like too much what I see from the Seattle Seahawks. They get good pass rush. Geno Smith is playing. He's got the best completion percentage in the NFL. He is the fourth highest completion percentage throwing 25-plus yards downfield. Tom Brady is 26th. The fact that the Bucks, who are technically a home team in this game, but it's in Germany, so I don't know how they're considered. There's no home team. It's a neutral site game. And Tampa is a two-and-a-half point favor because of the Brady effect. I'll tell you, I've been betting on Seattle all season as an underdog, and I've been making money. They are an underdog this weekend. This is an early game, a 10-30 kickoff. Before everything else starts, you get some money in your hand to put on the 1 o'clock slate of games. The Seattle defense is better than the Tampa Bay defense. The Seattle offense is better than the Tampa Bay offense. The quarterback for Seattle is better than the Tampa Bay quarterback this year. Not historically, folks, but this season, you bet. When you're grading this shit, you're not grading it on who's better for the future. Right now, Geno Smith is slinging it. Tom Brady is slinging stuff into the dirt. You're giving me Seattle plus two and a half. 
They were a two-point underdog last week against the Arizona Cardinals. They won outright. I'm taking Seattle plus two and a half, and I'm taking Seattle outright to win. I'm that confident in the Seahawks. They will be seven and three. I take underdogs, you know, but if I tell you in these picks I wouldn't take that team, I wouldn't do it. And if I think a favorite's a good pick, I will let you know. But for myself, I bet underdogs. I am taking Seattle in this game plus two and a half against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Love, love Seattle. If that number goes down to even a point, I don't care. I'm taking Seattle outright. Seattle can play. Two o'clock games. If I could watch one game this weekend, this would be high up for me. Minnesota at Buffalo. Now, here's what we know at the moment. Josh Allen is dealing with a UCL injury in his elbow, as I told you all yesterday. That is basically similar to a Tommy John injury if you were a pitcher. If he was a pitcher, he would not be playing, but he's a quarterback, so he's going to have the ability to play this weekend. He has not practiced this week, did not practice Wednesday, did not practice yesterday, unlikely to practice today. They'll have a walkthrough tomorrow. Listening to everybody on television, listening to injury experts Stefania Bell on the mothership, she said resting this type of injury for a couple weeks is something that can be very, very good for you because you can come back and play later in the season. Buffalo is 6-2, and two, and I think they feel the pressure because they want to have home field throughout the AFC postseason. They felt like they had it. They had beaten the Kansas City Chiefs head-to-head, so they had that tiebreaker, and currently they're still in first place. However, you lose a game here and there. The Chiefs continue to win. Before you know it, you have to go back to Arrowhead in the postseason, which Josh Allen has never won in Arrowhead in the postseason. It's hard to beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead in the postseason. The Bengals did it last year, which kudos to them. But Josh Allen's never done it. The big bad Bills, as I touched on earlier in the week, yes, they're everybody's Super Bowl favorite. Josh Allen was the MVP MVP favorite. Not anymore. We'll get to that later. But this, this game, for me, Buffalo, even though Buffalo may not have Josh Allen, which I wouldn't play him, and I don't think he's going to play, they still have an opportunity because Buffalo's backup quarterback is Case Keenum. Case Keenum's 34 years old. He's played for the Cleveland Browns. He's played for the Houston Texans. He's played for the Minnesota Vikings. He's played for the Buffalo Bills. He's been everywhere, man. But Case Keenum can play. In Minnesota, Case Keenum got the Minnesota Vikings to the NFC Championship game. If you recall the season, he was the quarterback who threw the ball to Stephon Diggs that led to the Minnesota Miracle. It was 2018 when the... Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl, but the Minnesota Vikings, led by Case Keenum, got to the NFC Championship game. They then replaced Case Keenum with Kirk Cousins, giving Kirk Cousins $84 million in totally guaranteed money, and Case Keenum moved on at that time to the Houston Texans, I believe. He's then been a backup quarterback the last number of years, but he can play. To me, he's the second-best backup quarterback in the NFL behind Gardner Minshew in Philadelphia. So he can play. He's still got great receivers. This game features two of the best defenses in the NFL. Buffalo is the number one rated defense in just total defense. Minnesota is eighth. You have Vaughn Miller, who leads the 
Buffalo Bills in sacks, you have Zadarius Smith, who has eight and a half sacks, which is tied for the second most in all of the NFL. X factor for me this week. We saw it last week against the Jets. Matt Milano, the great linebacker, a pro bowler, is unlikely to play. He's not been practicing all week. It sounds like he's going to miss his second straight game. Dalvin Cook is a great running is a great running back, and Matt Milano would be a guy that needs to fill that hole for this Buffalo defense. Jordan Poyer is also going to be out in the secondary. The Minnesota offense just loves the middle of the field. They don't like to take big shots down the field, but what Kirk Cousins does do is he, he finds Justin Jefferson in the flat. He finds him over the middle. They run slants. They run curls to find Jefferson, to find Adam Thielen, to find now TJ Hawkinson in the middle of the field. That's where Matt Milano operates, and that is truly the strength of this Buffalo Bills defense. The Vikings are on the road. Case Keenum is going to be the quarterback. As we sit right now, the Buffalo Bills are a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Greg Rousseau is great. So is Vaughn Miller. Even without Josh Allen, this is no gimme win for, for the Vikings, even though they are 7-1, and one, a quiet 7-1, and one, and having a really, really productive season. But if I'm telling you guys it's just a betting angle, put in this bet now because if it's announced that Josh Allen is out, which it likely won't be today, but what we've seen in the NFL and with the with gambling rules, you got to let people know who's starting and who's not so they can set the line. They might even take this off the board as we get closer to the game. I don't believe the Bills will be a three-and-a-half-point favorite if Case, if Case Keenum is the starting quarterback. Might be closer to a pick em, quite honestly. I would bet it now, You and I would take the Vikings plus three-and-a-half. I like the Vikings in this game. Even if Josh Allen plays, I think he'll be limited. I like the Vikings defense. No Matt Milano hurts. No Jordan Poyer in the secondary. And the Vikings are 7-1. and one. They're quiet. They're nothing to brag about. They're not that fun to watch. But they are 7-1. and one. Eight games, you won seven of them. And your only loss is to the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. You're getting three and a half points. You got Kirk Cousins at a 2 o'clock start. This isn't prime time or any kind of big moment. I'm taking the Vikings plus three and a half. Detroit-Chicago, battle of the NFC North. Detroit's coming off a victory. Chicago coming off a loss to the Dolphins where Justin Fields might have had his best game as a pro. Detroit ranks last in the NFL in defense, almost every defensive metric. They have one of the worst defenses in the last decade in the National Football League. Chicago can make offensive plays. I hate the receiving core, but Justin Fields is getting better by the week. So you have the three and six, three and six Bears against the two and six Lions. I'll tell you, it anytime you see the Chicago Bears are a favorite in a game, it scares me. I love Justin Fields. He's like a son to me. But anytime the Bears are favored in my lifetime, I've never seen the Bears favored many times betting because they've been horrible my whole life. But Detroit is worse. Detroit with Man Campbell as their head coach. Yes, they got a big win against Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers had one of those games that would make you shake your head. I think this game is going to be close. It's a divisional game. Divisional games scare me. That's why I bet the Panthers last night. 
I'm not going to bet on this game, and I, in my head, I think I would go with Chicago Bears. But if you're thinking Detroit plus 2.5 because you didn't get some value there, I don't blame you. If this was week one, I would be taking the Detroit Lions. But they screwed me so many times this year betting. I'm not going back to the well on Jared Goff and whatever the hell Man Campbell's got up his sleeve. But if you got the guts to take the Lions, good on you. But I don't think they win two in a row. They're not good enough. The Denver Broncos, who haven't played in a long time since playing in London, which no complaint from me, they head to Tennessee this weekend to play the Titans. Titans are a three-point favorite. Yesterday, Ryan Tannehill was a full participant in practice. He's missed the last two games. And Adam Sheffield even tweeted he's in line to start this weekend and make his return. Tennessee was a 12.5-point dog last week against the Chiefs, and they covered with Malik Willis, a quarterback, and he threw the ball eight times. Denver's 3-5. and five. They're not a good football team whatsoever. However, they do have the second-ranked defense in the National Football League. Oddly enough, they are the worst-ranked team in the red zone in the entire NFL. Tennessee has the number-one-rated red zone defense in all the NFL. So what a matchup, stylistic matchup here. Russell Wilson had his best game as a Bronco in London against the Jags, but the Jags stink, unfortunately, because I love them. Trevor Lawrence. I hate betting Tennessee because they're an AFC South team, and I don't trust them. Ryan Tannehill being back, Derrick Henry, but the Denver is great at stopping the run. They eliminate what you do best, and that is absolutely the run. If you're a defensive coordinator this week for the Broncos, your, your job is to stop the running game and make Ryan Tannehill beat you, who's coming off an injury with no receivers. Tennessee's at home. Denver has not played in a long time, coming off a bye week. But I will take, uh, if I was betting, I'm not going to on this game because I'm not taking an underdog. I would take Tennessee. But there's something about Denver that, that, that tells me that they might win another game. They might get back into the mix with Russell Wilson. I don't know. I don't like their team at all. This, this is an interesting game because I think it go either way. I don't think either team is very good. Titans win this game. They basically get lock up the AFC South already, and there's eight games left. They basically lock it up because you'd have the Colts, who we'll get to in a minute, who they're playing. The Jags, who are three and six. They got the Chiefs this week. And the Houston Texans are beyond out of it. So, speaking of the Jags, Jags are at Arrowhead playing the Chiefs this week. The Chiefs are a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. Chiefs just squeaked out a victory last week against the Tennessee Titans, a really strong performance from Tennessee's defense, keeping them out of the end zone, frustrating Patrick Mahomes a little bit. Tennessee did it with their defense. Jacksonville does not have that type of defense to me that can keep them in check. Again, I don't bet favorites. Nine and a half is a lot of points in the NFL. I don't disagree with that. That's that's a lot of points to cover. It's not easy to do that. Last week, the Chiefs were at home and the Texans covered 12 and a half. 
The Titans are not Texans. The Texans don't cover anything. But they covered 12 and a half. And I'm thinking the big numbers, the Texans covered against the Philadelphia Eagles, who are a big favorite. Now, this isn't 10. That's one thing I will say. If this was 10, I think you could get a push. Because maybe the Chiefs win this game by 10 points. The Jags are coming off a win. They came back from 17 down to beat the Raiders last week on the road. So far, I'm, I know I'm, I'm taking Seattle plus two and a half. I'm making a parlay. I'm taking Minnesota plus three and a half. I'll come back to you on this game before, before we wrap up this segment because this is it's an interesting one. Cleveland Browns head to Miami. Cleveland's coming off a bye. Oh, sorry, they, can't, they played Monday Night Football last week where they defeated the Cincinnati Bengals. And they look good in the game. Frustrated Joe Burrow and Cincinnati had one of their worst games. Another division game, those things can happen. Miami is the fourth-rated offense in the NFL. Tyreek Hill is on pace for 2,000 yards, receiving Jalen Waddle to attack by Loa in the MVP conversation, maybe. Miami's a three-and-a-half-point home favorite. The thing for Miami they have the 27th-ranked defense in all of the NFL. That is going to catch up with them eventually if they don't figure this out. They are a game away from their bye. And this is a really important game because you're playing a team under 500. I mentioned before they got the Chargers coming up after their bye. They have San Francisco. They have some tough games. Cleveland's not an easy opponent because Brissett is a sneaky good quarterback. He was a Miami Dolphin last year. So technically, this is a Jacoby Brissett revenge game coming back to the Heat in Miami looking to get a win against a former team. And the defense is not great for the Dolphins. So Nick Chubb could have himself a field day. This is a sneaky trap game for the Dolphins. They escaped a trap game against the Chicago Bears by three points. They escaped a trap game against the Detroit Lions by five points. Two really close games against teams that it shouldn't be that close. The Dolphins are much better than these two teams. And Cleveland's coming off a bye. Their defense played their best game of the season. There's upsets every week, as I pointed out. And honestly, I think Miami's got an electric offense. They can, they can do it. I'm going to take Cleveland plus three and a half. This is me hedging. But I think their defense is coming together. Miami's defense is no good. Nick Chubb could have himself a day. Jacoby Brissett is better than what people give him credit for. He's playing better in Cleveland than he ever did in Miami last year. I think Miami might win the game, but this is going to be another tight affair. Miami play close games because their defense keeps teams in it, forces Tua to throw for 350, Tyree Kill to get almost 200 yards receiving every week. I don't know if Cleveland wins this game. I think they could, though, because I think they want it. They, this is a desperate game for Cleveland, too, because they know if they keep winning, by the time Mr. Asshole comes back to Sean Watson, they could still be in the playoff mix. I like Cleveland, plus three and a half. Houston goes to the Giants. Giants are a four-point favorite. Texans stink. They covered last week. That's a win for them on their season. You cover against against the Philadelphia Eagles, the best team in the NFL. 
that's as big of a win as Houston will get this year. They already have a tie, and they do have a win on, on their schedule, so good for them. Giants are coming off a bye. Giants are 6-2. and two. They need to keep pace with teams in their own division and keep winning to get a wildcard spot. Not to mention, you got to win these games for the Giants because you got the Eagles, still got to play the Cowboys again. Your division's tough. So getting a cupcake game is paramount. I think this is a perfect game coming off a of bye. You couldn't get an easier team to, to get yourself back into it. You got healthy during that week. I think Saquon Barkley is a huge game for the Giants this week. Over, yardage, gets a couple of touchdowns. Danny Dimes hasn't been turned the ball over. Giants' last loss was to Seattle, but that was a close game in Seattle, 6-3. and three. They're a good team. I'm not taking Houston. with It's only a four-point spread. I like the Giants minus four. I'm not betting it, but if I was betting, take the Giants, four points. New Orleans. God, this game. New Orleans, three and six, goes to Pittsburgh to play the two and six Steelers coming off a bye. This is just a crap football game, I'll tell you that. New Orleans is better than the Steelers. They just are. Even with Andy Dalton, whoever they got playing at quarterback, receiver. Michael Thomas is out for the year because he's just a Band-Aid receiver. I love Chris Olave, who's a great rookie receiver from the Ohio State. Their defense is still pretty decent. Lamar Jackson tore them up, but that's what Lamar Jackson does, quite frankly. Pittsburgh's a one-and-a-half-point home dog. I'm not taking Pittsburgh. Too small a spread. That tells you that they don't respect New Orleans at all, which I don't blame them. But I, I like I like New Orleans to win this game. And I'm just going to check New Orleans. I think New Orleans, New Orleans might have had their bye already. I could be wrong about that. I, I think they're three and six, but they could easily be, they might be three and five as well. They might be, they might've had their bye. And I'm just going to check on that quick for all of you. New Orleans is three and six. So I was right. So if they win this week, they will be tied for second in the NFC South. And if Tampa loses New Orleans, Atlanta, and Tampa will all have four and six records. Three-way tie for first. My God, that division is just full of crap. But New Orleans, they're a favorite. I like them winning that game. Now, on paper, this game stinks. But I am intrigued by this 5 o'clock game because of the circumstance. We have the Indianapolis Colts visiting the, the Vegas Raiders. Indianapolis fired Frank Reich this week and replaced him with Jeff Saturday, as we touched on, the ESPN analyst. I just want to see what they look like. They have a 30-year-old play caller. Jeff Saturday is going to be on the sideline for the first time. Sam Ellinger is playing his third career game as a starting quarterback. What kind of anarchy is going to happen on that Colts sideline? Not to mention... They're playing Vegas, who are 2-6, and six, who have blown three 17-point leads this season alone. Vegas season is over. They're not a good football team. They keep finding ways to lose. They lost to the Jags last week. Vegas is at home. They're a four-and-a-half-point favorite. If... Vegas loses this week to Indianapolis with Jeff Saturday making his coaching debut fresh out of the booth. I don't know if Josh McDaniels is the head coach in Vegas come Monday. 
I think Mark Davis is fuming already. You you traded for Devontae Adams. You gave him all that money. He's not even in the top 10 in receiving yards. Derek Carr is third in the NFL in interceptions, second in turnovers. Hunter Renfro got put on IR yesterday. So did Darren Waller. They're likely both out for the rest of the season. So this Vegas offense is going down piece by piece. I have no idea about this. It intrigues me to no end this game. It won't be the entertainment value will be in just the anarchy of it. And it, you know, maybe the loss of Vegas will be far more interesting because I I truly think Mark Davis and these owners are crazy people. We saw Jim Irsay this week. He looked like a guy that had just done a line of coke and said, let's do a press conference. Looked completely frantic, looked completely out of place, but he fired a coach and then he brings in some ESPN analyst to coach his team. I think Jeff will want to have that team ready to play. I think they will want to play for him. Oh, what to do here? Goes against all logic. Indy looked horrible last week against the, against the New England Patriots, and the Patriots are not a good football team. Sam Ellinger is not a great – if Nick Foles was playing in this game, I would be so confident p- picking an Indianapolis Colts plus four and a half. What I've seen this year from the Raiders, when they have won their games, they are running the football with, for the fourth most rushing yards in all the NFL. Josh Jacobs was having a great season. They didn't run the ball last week. Don't know why. They stopped running the football. They got a 17-point lead. They turned the ball over. Trevor Lawrence started making plays. Before you know it, the Jags got a victory in Vegas. If Sam Ellinger wasn't the quarterback, as I've seen him the first couple weeks, and it's ugly, the returns are not good on Sam Ellinger's stock as a future quarterback. I'm still taking Indy plus four and a half. There's just something about this. I think it's anarchy in Vegas. They dropped to two and seven. My God. It's a big enough number that something can happen. Vegas may still win this game by a field goal, but I could see Indy covering the number. Indy plus four and a half. America's Game of the Week on Fox. We have the Dallas Cowboys against the Green Bay Packers. The Cowboys, who have the third-rated defense in all the NFL, coming off a bye against the Packers, who have the 25th-rated offense. Aaron Rodgers, who had the most interceptions in a game of his career last week, three against the Detroit Lions. He did not score a touchdown offensively in that game. And what a turn of events because Aaron Rodgers has been an underdog three of the last four weeks. He's at home this week at Lambeau Field. This is when this time of year is when you get the advantage of playing in Green Bay. The weather sucks. It's cold as hell. Nobody wants to be there. Teams coming in from Dallas who play in the dome, and you think you get a home field advantage. Well, odds makers say otherwise because the Dallas Cowboys are a four-point favorite in Green Bay. What can I point to that would tell you to take Green Bay as an underdog? Well, Aaron Rodgers is 5-2 lifetime against the Dallas Cowboys. 
He's won his last three starts, and he's never he's lost once to Dak Prescott head to head as starting quarterbacks. He doesn't get interceptions against Dallas. He's efficient, but you look at it. Romeo Dobbs likely not to play this week. Left the game. Sammy Watkins unlikely to play. Randall Cobb unlikely to play. The Green Bay Packers had to sign a practice squad guy, and they might elevate him for the game. That doesn't bode well. Not to mention this Dallas defense, I think, is going to feast. David Bakhtiari can't play anymore at, at left tackle. He was great at one point. He just doesn't look right. You have Micah Parsons running at him at all times and Demarcus Lawrence. This Cowboys defensive front is stout. They can get to the quarterback, and Aaron is not as agile as he used to be. Not, not as quick. He's 39 years old. I think this game will be close. It tells you Green Bay plus four because I think Dallas would be a much bigger favorite based on records if if Rodgers wasn't Aaron Rodgers. I don't have a good reason to pick the Packers. The one reason I could see this staying close is because Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, they run the football over this Cowboys defense because their strength is rushing the passer. They need to run the ball a ton on Sunday afternoon and tire out this Dallas defense. Dak Prescott and that offense look really good against Chicago Bears. We'll see if they can continue that. Rashawn Gary, another really important defensive piece for Green Bay, is out for the season with a torn Achilles. They claim Jonathan Abram off waivers from Vegas, so they add him to the defense, but again, that's not that big of an addition. To me, Dallas is the second best team in the NFC. I have the Eagles and I have the Cowboys, but I'm starting to creep towards I, to believing that Dallas is the best team in the NFC, even more than the Eagles. This won't be an impressive win because of the record of the Packers. This would likely put the Packers out of their misery. It'd be 3-7. and seven. You're not making the postseason. This is a win-or-go-home game, in my opinion, for the Green Bay Packers. You need to win this game. Because the Vikings are 7-1. and one. The worst they can be is 7-2 and two after this week. I don't think they will be. I think they're beating the Buffalo Bills. You're not winning that division. The New York Giants are 6-2. and two. They're playing the Houston Texans. I think they win that game. They'll be 7-2. and two. If Dallas beats you, they will be 7-2. and two. Those are two teams you're chasing in the wild card hunt. And the Niners are four and four. Seattle six and three. You're running out of time. The Packers lose this week. It will not be what kind of playoff chances it, it'll. That will not. That won't be the conversation. It'll be when does Jordan Love come into play for Aaron Rodgers? Because what's the point of playing Aaron Rodgers long term the rest of the season if he's not our if he's not our future or we got to see what our future is. There's no chance at the postseason. Why not play Jordan Love, get him some reps, so at least you have a bird's-eye view of what you have at the position moving forward. I love betting underdogs, especially home underdogs, but I don't have a good reason to take the Packers this week. No logic tells me to take Green Bay. If I was betting, if I'm just betting and you want a smart bet, you take you take Dallas minus four. Because this could be a much higher number. And if you're betting favorites, minus four Dallas against a Green Bay team that's just beaten and battered, makes too much sense not to. 
We get to this crap game, another 525. Arizona at the Rams. Both these teams stink. You have the 3-5 and five Rams, the 3-6 and six Cardinals. I have no interest in this game whatsoever. Watching the Rams is really, it's a painful experience. Their offense is so one-dimensional. They have no creativity. They can't run the ball. They have one receiver that's any good. And it's the same bootleg play after bootleg play, not to mention... Matthew Stafford has been in concussion protocol all week, and he has not he has not practiced all week. The Rams are a current one-and-a-half-point favorite. There's no home field advantage when you're the Rams. There's no football fans in Los Angeles. Chargers don't get a great home crowd, and neither do the Rams at SoFi Field, which is the nicest, just nicest place in the NFL, nicest stadium. If, the, if Matthew Stafford can't go... He rarely misses starts, but if it's a concussion, you don't pass the protocol, you can't play. John Wolford will get the start for the Los Angeles Rams. He's been their backup quarterback for a long. He backed up Jared Goff before, before Stafford arrived. He has started a few games in his NFL career. And there's also a piece today in SB Nation that the Rams could platoon John Wolford and Bryce Perkins He's a quarterback they took in the draft in, re- in relief of Matthew Stafford. But he's a 27-year-old. He uh, he played at Wake Forest and signed with the Jets as an undrafted free agent in 2018. He's, he's, he's played in the Alliance of American Football. So he's, he's a journeyman, absolutely a journeyman. He got an opportunity. The Rams picked him up. So far this season, he's got five yards, one interception. That with a 0.1 QBR, which, yikes. In his career, he's 23 for 42, 54.8 completion percentage, 236 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. To me, the play here, regardless, is Arizona. On, and I hate betting Arizona because Arizona is just so unreliable. Cliff Kingsbury. But the Rams are just a battered mess they have nothing left. They're just a corpse that's being picked at right now. Their defense still has a pulse. This offense has nothing to give. If John Wolford's playing, if Matthew Stafford plays after not practicing all week, I'm not sure it makes a big difference. The Rams beat Arizona in their first matchup this season in Arizona. But I like Arizona this week plus one and a half. The Rams are the walking dead right now. And the Cardinals aren't much better, but I do think the Cardinals will find a way to win this game at SoFi. Arizona, plus one and a half. Sunday Night Football. We actually got a good primetime game, which is rare to say this football season. Sunday night, we got the Los Angeles Chargers heading to the Bay Area to play San Francisco. San Francisco is coming off a bye, and they are fully healthy. Debo Samuel is back. Brandon Ayuk is back. Kyle Juszczyk. George Kittle, they lost Jason Verrett this week to practice torn Achilles, but the guy's always where he's had three torn ACLs and a torn Achilles in his career. He just doesn't have any luck. Their defense is getting healthier. Nick Bosa is second in the NFL in sacks. San Francisco is the fifth-rated defense. I think their offensive numbers will climb just because of their skill position players alone. Chargers, I mentioned last week I was optimistic about the way they played. 
the fact that they won against the Falcons, but I watched the Falcons last night. And I'm like, God, you barely beat that team. And I start to question my own thoughts. Chargers, Keenan Allen, not going to play. Mike Williams, not going to play. So I look at this, and initially I think the Chargers, they're on the road, but San Francisco has fans. They have, they're they passionate people about football in the Bay Area. Just underrated sports area is San Francisco in the Bay Area. They love their Golden State Warriors, who have been great to them over the last decade. San Francisco always gets good crowds, and they they're always seem to always be a competitive team. Sharks, too. When the Sharks are good, people show up there. Oakland Athletics, that's another whole other area. But it's a, it's a good little sports villa, San Francisco. I initially thought the Chargers are a good bet plus seven. But the Chargers have no weapons. Justin Herbert does not look confident. I don't bet favorites. But the smart play here is to bet San Francisco minus seven. They're coming off a bye. They're healthy. I think they're going to be ready to play. I would love to bet the Chargers in this spot, but the Chargers are too good, to, too bad to be a 6-3 and three team. San Francisco minus 7. San Francisco approved to 5-4. and four. The Chargers will be 5-4. and four. That makes sense. Those two teams being around the same area, I do think San Francisco's a much better team. But the Chargers need to figure this out quick. But I think San Francisco is a better team. They're coming off, but of, they're going to be ready to play, hungry to play. This second half of the season is really important for Jimmy G and his offense to get ready for the postseason. Hopefully battle for them and win the NFC West because they'll be in a dogfight with Seattle, with the Cardinals and Rams both being out of it. I like San Francisco minus seven. And then Monday Night Football, which we will talk about this more on Monday show, but we have – the Washington football team visiting the Philadelphia Eagles. The 4-5 Washington football team against the 8-0 Eagles. The Eagles have the fourth-rated defense in the NFL. They have the number one offensive line. They've given up the least amount of sacks. And they have a dual-threat quarterback, A.J. They got all, all you want. The last Eagles game was Thursday Night Football, and the Texans covered plus 14. We have another big number here. It's a divisional game. Washington's coming off a loss to Minnesota in a game that they just frankly gave away. Philly remains undefeated, and they're playing good football, but last Thursday night was definitely not their best game. Washington has the Green Lizard at quarterback and Taylor Heineke. He continues to ball out when you need him to. It's a divisional game, and I'm, I've been betting on divisional games to win you to win you some money. I'm telling you, the, things happen in these division games. Carolina beats, beats Atlanta. Carolina beats Tampa Bay. Cleveland beats Cincinnati. The Jets beat the Dolphins. The Jets beat the Bills. Upsets happen in division games, or by the at the very least, teams cover the number. Washington's an eleven point road underdog and Philly is a much better team than the Washington football team but something I can say about Washington they have a really good defensive front it's tough to run the ball on them and they can get to the quarterback with Montez Sweat with De'Aaron Payne with Chase Young 
I expect Philly to win this game, to improve to 9-0, and we will talk about it more on Monday. But I know what I'm betting on Monday if it's this type of a, a line. I'm betting on the Washington football team plus 11 because divisional rules, people. This is the gambling angle. This is the, the key to the trade is think about the two teams playing. If they're two random opponents, then yeah, go with the the sound logic of, well, this team's better than this team. They'll crush them. Yeah. More often than not, yeah, you're right. But in this sense, you have two divisional teams. They've already played each other. It was a decently close game, and Carson Wentz was in that game. Taylor Heineke is a better quarterback than Carson Wentz at this point, in particular with this offense and how confident they are with him opposed to Carson. Washington plus 11. Underdog, love it. And I was thinking about as we went through the rest of the games, Jags, Chiefs. Take the Chiefs. The Jags have burned me too many times. I'm not telling – I'm not giving – you guys, the I'm not telling all you faithful listeners to bet on the Jacksonville Jaguars. I just can't do it in my conscience. I can't do that to you. They've hurt me so many times. I can't have them hurt you. It's just not right. It's not fair. Before we go to some college gambling lines this weekend, NFL MVP odds nine weeks into the season. To start the season, Josh Allen was the heavy favorite, real heavy favorite. But with some inconsistent play, and now with the injury news, Josh Allen is no longer the MVP frontrunner. The MVP frontrunner is Patrick Mahomes at plus 200. Josh Allen is second at plus 225, followed by Jalen Hurts plus 250, Lamar Jackson at plus 900, interesting, Joe Burrow at plus 2,000, Tua Tagovailoa at plus 2,000. Geno Smith, plus 2,500. And then way down the list, Tyreek Hill at plus 10,000 because he'll win Offensive Player of the Year, but he will not win MVP because receivers can't win. I agree with Mahomes being number one. To me, he's the front runner now. He needs to screw up not to win it because he's played really good football this year. The Chiefs' offense looks incredibly dynamic. With Josh Allen being hurt, not playing games, that hurts your chances of winning it. Tua's missed already missed a couple games. He's played fantastic when he's in there. If Tyreek wants Offensive Player of the Year, potentially, that could help to his case. But again, you miss games. That docks you a little bit. Joe, Joe Burrow. I'm not giving it to a guy if, if the team's right around. I mean, they're five and four right now. I can't. That's that's not a whole lot of juice. I don't love that record, quite frankly. So I'm a little hesitant with that one. The intriguing one for me, and I looked it up last night, and the one I throw some scratch on is Lamar Jackson at plus nine hundred. And you want to know why? Because sometimes it's just about schedule and can you put up some numbers against these teams. This is the remaining schedule for the Baltimore Ravens. Next week, they're at the they're playing the three now three and seven Carolina Panthers. Not a not a winning record. Then they play the Jags three and six. I think they'll be three and seven. They play the Chiefs this week. So there you go. Broncos losing record. Steelers two and six losing record. Browns losing record. Falcons losing record, Steelers again losing record, and they play the Bengals in the last week of the season. That is the only team remaining on their schedule who
who has a winning record. How many of those games are, is Baltimore going to lose? They're 6-3 and three right now. They're, they'll beat Carolina. They'll beat the Jags. It's 8-3. and three. They'll beat the Broncos, 9-3. They'll beat the Steelers, 10-3. and three. Browns with Deshaun, who knows? To me, they go 13-4. and four. Do they lose one more game? They're going to win the AFC North. I truly believe that because their schedule is easier than the Cincinnati Bengals. Cincinnati has to play Buffalo. They have some tough teams in there. Cleveland's a tricky opponent in there. Other than Cleveland, there's no tough game for the Baltimore Ravens, and I think Lamar will put up good numbers. Mahomes has to play the Chargers again. He has to play the Broncos twice, who have the number two rated defense in all the NFL. So he might win those games, but maybe he doesn't have crazy numbers in those games because the defense keeps him in check. Lamar at plus 900 is a good bet because the teams that he has to play stink. The team's going to have a good record. And what might happen is the Chiefs, I truly think, will get to the Super Bowl. I have them winning it before the season. I'm not backing off that opinion. Chiefs play the Chargers in two weeks. I think they win that game because I think they're better. But it's not a lock for me that they win that game. It's a divisional game. It's in SoFi. The first game was very close in week two. As I just told you guys, things happen in division games. So they got the Chargers on Sunday Night Football. A tricky opponent, not a gimme win by any means. Then as we go on, Chiefs, Chiefs continue to have more difficult opponents. They have the Raiders again, who they always play tight games. Even if the Raiders stink, that'll be a close game, I'm telling you. So the Chiefs got the Chargers. Then they get the Rams at home. Much easier game than I think they thought it was at the beginning of the year. That, they stink. They'll beat up the They'll have good numbers there. Then they go to the Bengals. It's no easy opponent. That's going to be a shootout. Might help his MVP case, but you lose that game. Kind of hurt you too. Then they go to the Broncos Sunday night. I mentioned the Broncos are a tough opponent because of their defense. Then the Chiefs. Then the Chiefs. Ooh, checking the schedule here. Sorry, folks. Then they go to Houston. That's a gimme. He'll have big numbers in that game. Play the Seahawks week 16, Christmas Eve. Seahawks have a really good defense. That's a tricky game. Yeah, they're at home, but Seahawks are a tough opponent. Chiefs then, in the following week, play the Broncos one more, and they finish against the Raiders. That's a more difficult opponent. Could the Bengals beat the Chiefs? Yes. Could the Broncos beat the Chiefs once? It's a divisional game. I, it, they're tricky games. Things happen. The Chiefs dominate their division games like nobody, but I think there's more potholes potentially for the Chiefs than the Ravens. And the Ravens are 6-3. and three. The Chiefs are currently 6-2. and two. If the Ravens are 13-4 and four, and the Chiefs go 12-5, and five, sometimes record can mean something. If Baltimore has the, best, has the best record in the AFC, maybe that pushes them, pushes voters to give Lamar Jackson the MVP of the league. Just something to think about. Lamar at plus 900 right now, I'm going to throw a, a little bit of cash on him to win the MVP because we're nine weeks in, and I like the path for him and the Ravens to have a ton of success in the back half of the season.
College football this weekend. A number of interesting games. And a number of games that I like gambling on. So just for college football playoff big games. Ohio State is playing Indiana. Indiana stinks. They suck. They're brutal. But Ohio State's a 40-point favorite. That's right, 40 points. They were a 38-point favorite last week against Northwestern. Northwestern covered that. They only won by 14 points. Ohio State is going to win this game comfortably. But I think Indiana can cover the 40. Ohio State will remain in the college football playoff top four. But I like Indiana plus 40. Tennessee is the fifth seed. They need to win all the rest of their games. They might not need to play in the SEC championship game, but they need to just win out to remain on top. They got Missouri today. Sorry, it's tomorrow. I'm thinking it's Saturday. It's Friday. They got Missouri today. They're a 20.5-point favorite. I like Tennessee, minus 20.5. I don't bet favorites, but it's a good bet for you. Michigan. Michigan's a 31-point favorite against Nebraska. Nebraska, since firing Scott Frost, have actually been decent in the Big Ten. The Big Ten is not that great to begin with, but Michigan is in the top four. They will win this game. They'll remain in the top four. But I think Nebraska can cover 31 points. I like Nebraska plus 31. Bama Ole Miss, one of the games of the weekend, 4.30 Saturday afternoon. Bama struggles on the road. They nearly lost to Texas. Texas covered that number. I bet on Texas that day. Thank you for that. They went to LSU. LSU won the game outright. They went to Texas A&M. Texas A&M covered the number. Should have won the game, if not for a bad penalty late called by the officials. Bama does not play great on the road. They don't have a great team. Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, former assistant coach for Nick Saban, he knows the tricks of the trade. Ole Miss has a decent team. Jackson Dart, a decent quarterback that can run the football. They run in the top 10 of all the, the, the BCS in just in team rushing yards. Ole Miss, a 12-point home favorite. I like them covering the number. Ole Miss, plus 12. I do think Bama wins the game, but I think it'll be close this week. I like Lane Kiffin. Rolling with Lane. Washington at Oregon. The more and more I watch Oregon, I love them. And I'm not betting on this game, even though I have a good feel, because Oregon always screws with me. My inkling here is I think Oregon, as I as a laid out yesterday, they have a good opportunity to get to the college football playoff. They just need to keep winning, win the Pac-12 championship game, beat it, one loss USC. That's an impressive victory. Washington, with Michael Penix Jr. and what they're doing in the Huskies, building that program back up, I expect this game to be competitive. I can't bet, I can't bet or bet against Oregon because it just screws me every time. But if I was betting, and I'm not going to bet on it, so I'll put the voodoo on you, I would bet on Washington. Washington plus 13, they will go into Eugene and put up a good fight. Washington's a good team. They're a good school. Washington plus 13. 8.30 primetime game. We got TCU, undefeated TCU, currently ranked number fourth in the college football playoff rankings. They head to Texas to play the Longhorns. Texas is a seven-point home favorite. 
College game day is going to Texas for the second time this season. Texas has three losses. They've lost Alabama. They lost to Texas Tech. And they lost to Oklahoma State a few weeks ago. Now, Quinn Ewers started only one of those games that they lost. He's their starter. The the backup was in for the other two starts, including well, Quinn Ewers was injured in the first quarter of that Alabama game. Texas is a good school. They got B. John Robinson, who's a great running back, who will be playing on Sundays. Quinn Ewers looks like a good quarterback. They got some good receivers. I do love what TCU is doing with Max Duggan. They've gutted out victory after victory. Texas being a seven-point favorite is crazy to me. At home, I think Texas, the TCU bubble is likely going to burst. As much as I'd like to see them get to a college football playoff, be in the mix, shake up the top four, get some new blood in there, I don't know if it'll happen. But I'm riding with TCU plus seven. I'm not confident about it, but that's what I'm doing. A bet I love, and I kept this one to the end because it involves Clemson, who will not be in the Final Four because they lost to Notre Dame last week. They're going through a tailspin. They got beat up by Notre Dame, and now they're playing a team in their own conference who can run the football. Louisville is a quiet 6-3. and three. They got Malik Cunningham, who's the best athlete at the quarterback position in all of college football. He's like Lamar Jackson, except not as good of a passer, but he's athletic as hell. Louisville will run it down Clemson's throat. Maybe Clemson squeaks out a victory, but I like Louisville plus seven on the road to go put up a good fight against Dabo Sweeney and the Clemson Tigers. So I like Louisville plus seven. So to recap, Ohio State, Indiana, Ohio State's 40-point favorite, Indiana plus 40. I like Louisville plus seven against Clemson. I like Nebraska plus 31 against Michigan. I like Ole Miss plus 12 against Bama. I'm not, don't bet the TCU-Texas game because I'm just not sure about that one. I'd love to bet TCU. I think Texas will win the game. They're at home. So if I was betting, I would take – because I could see that being a three- to four-point game and TCU at least covering the number. But a lot of great stuff. The college slate is great this weekend. Saturday is going to be a ton of fun because these college football games are all money. I can't wait to watch them all. And then you got all day football, college football. You got some afternoon hockey. And Saturday night, we have UFC 281 at Madison Square Garden in New York with a stacked card featuring Israel Adesanya and Alex Pereira. Adesanya has been a dominant champion at middleweight. He's taken on all comers. He's beaten Jared Canier. He's beaten Bob Whitaker twice. He's beaten Martin Vettery. He's beaten Paulo Costa. He's beaten Calvin Gaslam. It doesn't matter. Izzy is a certified stud. He's knocked out Bob Whitaker. He beats guys via points, and he's just one of the most methodically smart UFC fighters the promotion has ever seen, quite frankly. Now, Izzy is not the most flashy fighter. He's not the guy that makes you want to lock into a pay-per-view, but this time he is. This fight does because he's fighting Alex Pereira because Pereira has beaten Izzy twice in kickboxing, including Alex has knocked out Izzy in kickboxing a number of years ago. 
know, Ferreira's only been in the UFC for a little while, but he was put on the map a few months ago on the Canada Year Izzy pay-per-view where Pereira knocked the hell out Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland, a really good fighter. The winner, Sean Strickland wins that fight. I think he fight. he's fighting Izzy at MSG. But now we're looking at this fight. This is the first time these two guys are fighting in an octagon. It's not kickboxing. This is different. The difference between Jared Canayer, Kelvin Gaslam, these Marvin Vettery, these guys that Izzy has beaten, they are all fearful that if they attack him, that they try to do too much, Izzy will knock their head off. And these, you see Canayer, we see these guys lose via points because they're afraid to do too much. And Izzy just beats him by points. He's better methodically. He doesn't take he doesn't take many big hits. You see his face after fights. He looks like he could fight again. Alex Pereira, I don't believe, will have the same fear. Why? Because he's beaten Izzy twice in a different sport, but I don't think he's going to be afraid of the challenge. He's 6'3". He's a big dude. He's tall. Both these guys are really tall, thin guys, and I think they both can throw. Pereira knocked the hell out of Sean Strickland. He's got a right hand. This fight is going to be dynamite, I'm telling you. And to me, it ends in a knockout. I don't see Izzy winning this fight by points because I don't think Pereira is going to let him. He will be aggressive. He will come at him, and they will square off in the middle. I think Pereira, if he's smart in this fight, uses some, you know, does some counter changing. He tries to get, tries to get him to the ground, tries to get Izzy to the ground because Izzy's wrestling is not his strength. He stays on his feet and he squares up with you. Izzy is a minus two twenty favorite. Pereira is a plus one eighty underdog. Izzy's twenty three and one in his professional career. Pereira is six and one. It is so tough to bet against Izzy, and I think he will avenge this loss. He's a favorite. He's a great fighter. He's a great champion. I think he beats Pereira Saturday night, and quite frankly, I think he knocks him out. But we've seen crazier things. Kamara Usman got knocked out against uh, Whitt- uh, pardon me, Leon Edwards with that nasty high kick earlier in the year. I didn't think Kamara Usman would ever lose. I still think he's one of the best fighters in the world. I think he'll beat Edwards in their next fight. But crazy shit has happened this year in the UFC. Amanda Nunez lost her belt, then won it back. So things can happen, but I do think Izzy wins this fight. We have a second fight for a strap. That's Carla Esparza, the two-time strawweight champion, against uh, Zhang Weili, who's a former strawweight champion in her own right. Jane Welly is the much more, she's a power, she's a woman with some of the most power the UFC's ever seen. She picked up Francis Ngannou the other day, and he weighs close to 300 pounds. Carla Esparza is a more methodical fighter. She will get you to the ground. She'll make you tap out. She beat Rose Rose Namajunas in one of the ugliest, one of the most boring fights in the history of fighting. I, wa- I bought the pay-per-view. Thankfully, there was other fights on it because it was just a bore. It was awful. Zhang Weili in her last fight ended the career of Joanna uh, Jonjicek. A nasty spinning elbow. 
She retired after the fight, and Zhang Welly is a former champion, and she wants her belt back. Now, I look at this fight stylistically. Esparza is going to want to get Zhang to the ground because if they spar, Zhang Welly will knock her out. She will knock her out because she is just physically stronger. She's got more power, and she's more athletic than Carla Esparza. I have Izzy retaining his belt in the first fight. Esparza is an underdog as the champion in the second fight, which is interesting because it tells you that the, uh, the books don't have a whole lot of respect for Carlo Esparza, and it's likely because her because of that last fight she was in was such a bore. It was. It had nothing, no personality. It didn't have anything that would make you want to keep watching it. I got Zhang Welly winning the strap against Carlos Barza in the in the second to last fight of the night. The third fight on the card is Iron Mike Chandler fighting Dustin Poirier, the Diamond Poirier. I love this fight. This is, this is a war just waiting to happen. Quite frankly. Dustin Poirier has been a legend in MMA for a long time. He's fighting, he's fought in Conor McGregor twice. He's fought in Tony Ferguson. He's fought in all the way up to to lightweight now. And Poirier's been through it all. Michael Chandler was in Bellator for a long time, was a great fighter. He's moved over. He's beaten Dan Handman Hooker. He's lost to Charles Oliveira. He lost to Justin Gaethje in one of the biggest wars in UFC history just a year ago in this same building. And in his last fight, he defeated Tony Ferguson in one of the nastiest head kicks you'll ever see. This should be a battle. I'm curious to see how Michael Chandler approaches this fight. Both guys can use their wrestling, but I want to see Chandler use his wrestling in this fight just to throw some things off. He's only he's only gotten to his feet in fights. He's, he fights guys head on. Him and Gaethje just threw bombs at one another. If they do that, I think Poirier's going to win the fight because I just think he's more stylistically just a better fighter. If Chandler can do some different things, get him on the ground, he's such a strong human being that he's very difficult to deal with. The winner of this fight could really get an opportunity at a title in the very near future. Islam Makachev is reportedly going to face Alexander Volkanovsky in Australia, but that that's still not done. Maybe the winner of this fight will get Islam Makachev. Both of them have fought uh, Charles Oliveira, Maybe if Chandler or Poirier would get Islam in Australia in February. I don't know. Poirier is a minus 225 favorite. So he's a pretty big favorite. You have plus 185 Michael Chandler. It's hard to bet against the diamond. I will say that. He's a really, really good fighter. But I'm going with my I'm going with Chandler. I'm going with Chandler in this fight. I just have a feeling that. Chandler came to the UFC for a reason. He does want to fight Conor McGregor because he wants that money fight when McGregor returns. But I think Chandler will beat Dustin Poirier 
and we'll see where he goes, but he could get an opportunity at the belt in the near future. Also on the card, Frankie Edgar, a former champion in UFC, a, a veteran, likely a future Hall of Famer. He's having his retirement fight. This will be his last fight in the promotion. He's, he's hanging up the gloves. He's fighting Gutierrez, who's a really good fighter, 18-3-2 in his career. I don't think Frankie wins this fight. He's a plus 185 underdog. He's lost his last number of fights. I think this is a great send-off for him. You get him at Madison Square Garden, a former champion, on a pay-per-view. So good for Frankie Edgar to walk out this way. We also got Dan Hamman Hooker, who's lost his last number of fights. He's the first fight on the pay-per-view card. I think he gets back in the win column. But it, when it comes to when it comes to fights on the prelims, the, the fight to watch is Aaron Blanchfield against Meatball Molly McCann. Molly is a good friend of Patty the Batty Bimblet. She's won her last number of fights. She's box office. She's a lot of fun. Really, really fun in the cage. And she's a huge underdog going into this fight against Aaron. Aaron's a strong fighter in her own right. She's only lost one time as a pro. Lot tonight, uh, it, tomorrow night, it's Aaron minus 400. Meatball Molly is plus 300 as an underdog. Molly's got incredible power. Her leg kicks really cause problems for her opponents because you hit a leg kick, you can drop your hands a little bit in pain. She can strike. That's the way she approaches fighting. She's not the best grappler, but she's very much, she can beat the hell out of you. To me, Molly's just a rising stock, and she's a massive underdog here. But I'm buying in to, to the hype of her. I, I think she's – her and, and Patty the Batty both are on this meteoric rise where I think Dana White wants them both to be stars. He wants that next star in the women's fight game. Amanda Nunez is the GOAT. She's the lioness, but she's not exactly great on the mic. She's not her first language. Meatball Molly does a ton of interviews. She's fun. She's got a good personality. I'm going to pick her plus 300 as a massive underdog to beat Aaron. But that is a such a – it's on the undercard. It's a free fight. Watch it on TSN. That will be a great match. That will be a great fight Saturday night. Here's a Dominic Reyes against Ryan Spawn on the prelims. So UFC 281 is a banger. It is. It's worth the 65 bucks. If you haven't checked out the UFC, I would watch the prelims and then buy the buy the pay-per-view, $65 Saturday night. That's a good way to spend a Saturday night. It's just to sit back and watch some fighting. I do it. I watch every pay-per-view. And this one should be a ton of fun. I like Izzy via knockout. I like Zhang Willie via knockout. Chandler by decision. Frankie Yeager gets knocked out. Dan Hooker. Wins via TKO. And I'm going to go Meatball Molly via TKO as well. Those are some predictions for the fights this weekend at UFC 281. So that, that should be fun Saturday night. Quickly to the NHL before we wrap up for the weekend. Some impressive performances last night. Jack Eichel, Sveshnikov, both have hat tricks. Eichel... I loved his bravado in Buffalo last night. He was cocky about it. Good for him. 
you know, I think Eichel's a really good player. He's got 19 points in his first 15 games. For all the old heads out there, he's a plus 13. So he's doing his part in Vegas. That team is 13-2 and two in their first 15. That is beyond impressive. Not to mention you sweep Eastern Canada. You win in Buffalo. That's an impressive stretch. You go through, you go to the Eastern Conference, you win all those games. Eichel, they have good Mark Stone. Their goaltending have been fantastic. Both guys have been really good for Bruce Cassidy. And 15 games, that's not a little stretch. It's almost a quarter of your season. You're just dominating everybody. I mentioned in that division, you get that kind of pace. You set that lead. It's going to be tough for teams to catch you. On the other hand, Svechikov's got 11 goals. Hattrick last night, bounce back game for Carolina. And the Oilers get some points from McDavid. He's got 15 goals already on the season. He looks fantastic. But they play with no structure. I didn't watch a whole lot of the game last night because I'm sick and tired of watching Carolina, quite frankly, for a little bit. Watched them too much this week. I had to watch other teams. But for Edmonton, they can't get a save. Jack Campbell's a disaster. They play with no structure, and they're not getting any production from anybody not named McDavid, Hyman, or Leon Dreisaitl right now. Tough to win. Tough to win when you're not getting any kind of help. Simple as that. That's how, that's how I boil it down here. Great for, I think Svechkov's playing great hockey. Martin Netcash is playing great hockey. Aho has played fantastic. So they have a good, well-run machine in Carolina. But for this, this group in Edmonton, in Calgary, Western Canada is struggling right now. Toronto, breathe a sigh of relief. You got nothing compared to the disasters that are happening currently in Western Canada. Calgary loses again last night to Boston. Boston's 12-2. Uh, 12 and two. This, Them in Vegas don't want to, you know, they just want to keep pace. I'll say Calgary didn't have Jonathan Huberto last night. He's day-to-day upper body injury. They played better without him. That's a damning thing, but I watched the whole game. They looked better without him last night. Boston got Charlie McAvoy back, gets a game-winning goal in his first game. <laughs> he looked good, quite frankly. The team looked – I thought Calgary was a better team through 40 minutes, but Boston found a way to win the game. Simple as that. They found a way to win. That's It's an 82-game schedule. You're going to find games that you shouldn't win that you did. The Calgary third line had a pulse last night. Backlund, Majinapani, Lewis. Everybody else – didn't get many good offensive opportunities. They look better without Huberto, though, and that is troubling if you're a Calgary Flames fan. New Jersey won their eighth straight. Ottawa lost their eighth straight. Everything's coming up, New Jersey. Here's the problem. Mackenzie Blackwood's out three to six weeks, as I pointed out yesterday. Andre Palat's out eight to ten weeks, as I pointed out yesterday. Vitek Vanacek left the game last night, so they might be down to their third-string goaltender, which who is Schmid, who came in valiantly and robbed Brady Kachuk in overtime to get New Jersey that extra point. They also killed a penalty in overtime. Then Shabbat took a penalty, and he sure got the overtime winner on a, defle- on a deflection. Laurent Brossois on waivers. If I'm New Jersey, I claim him today because you need goaltending depth. I think Toronto tried. I think multiple teams will try to put in a claim for for Laurent Brossois. 
because teams need goaltending depth more than ever because all these goalies are soft as Cottonell and they're going down day after day after day. You need depth at that position. Laurent Brassois can play NHL minutes. That's, at the very least, you know that. New Jersey, he might be your starting goalie if you claim him today. But credit to that team. Dougie Hamilton's playing good hockey. Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer's got eight goals already on the season. Jesper Bratt's a stud. They settle in. They get good goaltending. They're finding production all over the ice. And Ottawa just finds ways to lose. They gag, gag it away last night. In overtime, Debrinka has got a perfect setup on the power play. Misses the net by 10 feet. You get a, Kachuk gets robbed. Shabbat takes a Bush League penalty. And you you just you got to win that game. A third string goalie comes in, shoot the puck on him. You got five shots in the last 12 minutes of the third period. That's not good enough. I mentioned Boston last night. They just found a way to win. They didn't deserve to win that game last night, but they did. St. Louis is going through a tailspin. Yeah, they played San Jose last night, but guess what? They won. That's the best thing I can say about them. They won the game. They still stink. They still got a ways to go. I still think they should fire the coach, but at least they won a game. Rangers scored six in the third period last night, all from different goal scorers against Detroit. I'm watching that game. 2-2 two, two after 2, makes a tight game, tight checking. Six goals in the third. Fox, Barkley Goodrow, Zabinajad, Julian Gauthier, Libra Hychek, and Jimmy Vesey shorthanded in the third period last night. Boy, Adam Fox had himself a game last night. If you didn't watch it, he's something special, Adam Fox. I Four points last The guy's just a, incredible. He's not... Kale McCarr, but he's just a, a rung below. He's a point per game as a defenseman. He's only 24 years old. Just a stud player, Adam Fox. The way he, he's so creative, he's a knack of stripping the puck without having to be a physical player. That might be the turnaround for the Rangers last night. Detroit's been a good team. You put up six in the third period and you send it to them. That's a message. We'll see if it continues for New York as we move forward. This weekend, tonight, we got four games in the National Hockey League. They are as follows. Penguins, Leafs. Crosby's in Toronto. He loves playing the Leafs. Lightning Caps, Shark Stars, Wild Kraken. Wild Kraken's an interesting game, actually. But Crosby against the Leafs. See what the Leafs can do tonight. Matt Murray might return for the Leafs tomorrow. Saturday, we got Oilers-Panthers. See if the Oilers can get a win. That's an interesting game to me. Rangers, Predators, Predators are going through a tailspin right now. They stink. Hurricanes, Avs, good game. Jets, Flames, interesting. Jets are playing well. The Flames can't buy a win. Blues, Golden Knights, that's one for me I will be watching. I find that game intriguing Saturday night, Blues, Golden Knights. And then Sunday, National Hockey League-wise, we got Canucks, Bruins, always entertaining. Capitals, Lightning again, back-to-back, and Jets in Seattle. Not to mention this weekend, we also have the uh, CFL uh, playoffs, the conference cha- conference championship. The Alouettes are at the Argonauts. The BC Lions are at the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Winnipeg's going for four Grey Cups in a row. This weekend, I got Montreal beating Toronto. I got Winnipeg beating BC. So that means it would be Winnipeg, Montreal, Grey Cup 
in Saskatchewan a week from Sunday. We'll talk about it all on Monday, folks. We'll have a lot to break down. UFC, football, hockey. It's a good time to be alive. And as I said off the top, happy Remembrance Day to everybody out there. Enjoy this day. Take the time to reflect and just appreciate what other people have sacrificed so that we can live the life that we do. Take care, everybody. Have a great long weekend. This is To The Point.